Namaste and in La Catch and welcome to this episode of One World in a New World. I'm your host Zen Benefiel and this week's guest is Carol Sanford. She is just an amazing woman that has had such a plethora of activity in her life and contributions to this world in very positive ways. She's an executive producer at the Regenerative Business Summit. She's a five times TEDx speaker. She's got the best-selling Amazon author. She's a senior fellow of the Social Innovation Babson, at Babson College, and she's written five books. These are very interesting titles too. The Regenerative, Regenerative Life, Transform Any Organization, Our Society, and Your Destiny. The Regenerative Business, Redesign Work, Cultivate Human Potential, Achieve Extraordinary Outcomes, Indirect Work, No More Feedback, and The Responsible Business. Carol, so glad to have you here. You yes. missed one. You missed I did. two. Uh, yeah. No More Feedback, but also The Responsible Entrepreneur. Thank you very much. So that's All right. six. All right. I'm working on number seven. I hope to get complete before I die, called No More Gold Stars. Uh, it's about how behaviorism actually undermines almost every problem we're working on, from climate change to racism to uh, animal uh, inequities, all kinds of inequities. Oh, I so, look forward to getting further into that. Yeah. And before well, we I'm do... Almost done. Anyway, thank you for that introduction. Oh, you're welcome. And, and I understand that it, it takes a lot to write a book. I, I've got a few myself. Um, and one <laughs> took me a decade. Um, and I wrote three other books in the process of it with yeah. ideas that popped up that didn't fit. So in this quest that you've had and, and at your point in life, you're able to really look back and, and kind of go into how you got where you're at and, and the various um, points along the journey that then you were able to connect the dots uh, as you grew older. Now, when you were younger, how did you first get in touch with this uh, inner awareness or, or simple awareness, if you will, that there was a connection that you had to life that was a bit more than what you were being told? Oh, it was easy. I had a grandfather who was Mohawk. Mm. So the fact and grandmother, they were each part Mohawk. And uh, my grandfather particularly uh, took me for uh, rides and walks and with him in his way of engaging the world. And he owned pigs and all sorts of critters and a little farm. Uh, he also was an advisor to the, uh, what do they call them, the Farm Bureau, to other mm -hmm. farmers. And so my grandfather always told me there's no such thing as inner and outer uh, unless um, you can connect with a very large hole of which you're embedded in. And so mostly what he did is got me to learn to see the essence of the beings around me like what's the essence of pigness, he would say. And then you walk to the river and the pigs, and most people don't know this, but they're used to following in uh, groups. And so 
humans get acceptance as a part of the group and they followed them to the river. We would sit down, have conversations, and then my grandfather would take on some kind of teaching. He, the book, uh, the one I had you uh, say because you forgot the responsible entrepreneur is a lot about the teachings with my grandfather. And we called it the responsible entrepreneur because it was based on four archetypes in the native people, the indigenous people's world, not Carl Young. I mean, his aren't bad, but uh, it was about, hey, you regenerate a community. And he, the Mohawk uh, got splintered with, um, excuse me, I get a little bit breathless once in a while, uh, got splintered through slavery with the Scottish and other tribes uh, capturing and taking them south. And so we ended up part of the Southern contingent in my ancestry to get, it got to Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. uh, so regenerating was really important because a tribe had been splintered and he taught me about how you regenerate something. And it was never about you. He said that there's arrogance and hubris in white men uh, and women, but um, because we think it's all about us doing something. It's about coming in a, what he called a three level system. I am embedded in have work to do, but there are communities which have work to do and there's a grander work on the planet, uh, is, which is about consciousness and the role of humans, but it's not individual consciousness. He said, we make, uh, he said, you, you study Socrates, and he was right. When I was in graduate school, I was totally fascinated uh, with Socrates, but I was reading him when I was very little. Mm -hmm. And he said, he was always telling you Humility is the most important thing. And so that's, I think, a quick and dirty view of my very young years. And that that's is fascinating. And, and, and it's so rich in, yeah. in what I know from my studies. And, and, I, and I just grew up in a village in Indiana. And yet that I had this quest of knowing more, as you know. And yeah that that philosophy that uh, trinitized philosophy of, if you will of self others in the world where we are part of the whole and we think ourselves separate from it and what's so i think devastating is early on when we misunderstood especially in the christian world the idea of being given dominance over the earth well that actually meant stewardship in my opinion, and we missed the boat. And we thought, okay, we have dominance, we can do whatever we please, and we're not going to get any consequences from that. And now look what we've done. <laughs> well, let me tell you what my grandfather said about that, because my grandmother was a Christian of great uh, importance in her community. And he said, we use the word stewardship as another way to say we're in charge. Even when we're the do-good people, mm. what's really true is those three rings are not three entities. They're three natures of work. That right. is, you know, so the work first, 
I have to do work on me. And that's the most important work for me to do when I'm young. Singly, I do work with others, but it's on the third ring, which is not the world. That's too abstract. He was so concrete. He was always saying, don't use all these things the Western teachers give you because they're abstractions. You personally are very concrete and have work to do. Secondly, there are certain people you will join with, which you have to develop yourself. It's mm -hmm. not go do something. Your work is to develop you. And what you're developing you on is the third line, which is consciousness. And how do you pick in your life uh, to notice what the role of consciousness is? And he said, we, we banalize that all the time. We talk about meditation and things where somehow we become conscious. He said, consciousness is a momentary ephemeral thing. It's gone in the flash of light. And so the work to do on the third line is learn how to regenerate it, bring it back uh, in this moment on this piece of work at this point in time with these events and not think we can change the world. It happens moment by moment of consciousness. And I treasure his disrupting most of the world's way of talking about it. So there was, I was probably 14 when he shook me and said, don't get full of arrogance and think you're going to change a damn thing. You aren't. All you can manage is every moment waking up and now you've given the gift and then do it again and then do it again. So that, that sounds that, almost uh, very Zen, right? Where the, the, every day is you work on the mastery of self and, yeah. and being able to acquiesce to the moment and totally experience the now and then build upon that to make it extended moments. Yeah, right. he would yeah. say that's all abstraction. Everything you just said is abstraction. What you're really doing is in this moment, don't try and extend it, regenerate it. You can't extend it. You can't hold consciousness. Right, because we, we try to explain it and talk about it like I was just doing, right? In those moments, there are no words. Would you say that's true? Oh. There's a sense, there's a feeling, that there's a presence in that that's beyond no, to me it's very concrete um, mm -hmm. so i pick a mind a thought i want to hold in my mind like uh what is pigness and being with a pig a real concrete specific pig the only thing that feeds the universe is me to notice that i'm noticing the pig to be witnessing and i have to have something concrete to do that if i create abstraction about what I'm doing and say I'm feeling things that showing up, then I'm not conscious because consciousness is a moment of witnessing either something I want to understand better or something I want to do. And most of the time I can't do it. I lie to myself. I say, I'm going to pay attention to this. I mean, I challenge all your viewers, decide for 10 minutes, or no, let's take two minutes. You're going to think about time and the time you're in right now. 
and nothing else won't let your mind float away. Most of us, including me, can't really do that. Well, I've gotten better over time. It said we've got 70,000 thoughts that run through our heads in so, a day. And so those kind of distractions, because we aren't able to manage our mind well enough, right? We just let it run. We're not able to experience those kinds of moments of focus where your attention, intention, and interaction are, are in that experience that, uh, as you were saying, the the concrete experience of what you are being in the doing yeah yeah i think i used some different words but we're probably working toward the same thing to me the divided self is what matters if i'm talking and i'm watching what i'm saying i'm not being divided or right. excuse me, let me say it this way if i'm uh, not able to watch what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, whether or not I'm sticking with what I said I wanted to do, then I'm in an abstraction. I'm not in the moment. Okay. I'm not sure that makes sense, but well, let, let's let's look at it a different way, man. Uh, maybe there's this um, the phrase that's that kind of ubiquitous. It's chop when you're chopping wood and carrying water. Chop wood and carry water. Yeah. Would would that fit in as far as the attention? To me, that's an abstraction. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay. I have to say today, I am working with a client, with a group of people. And what I want to do is I hold an aim for myself about how I want to be. And then I watch me and see how well I'm doing that. Otherwise, it's a conversation of something about a, an idea or something out there. Consciousness is in a moment. Is all it ever is. Uh, it's um, the energy of the moment when you're you're present. Now, you know you mentioned out there. Is there in this process where you are? No, so we're doing too much abstraction. I can't. You ask me another abstract question. Ask me about how I do it in my work, or what is in a book. Something that brings it to um, real real situation. Then I can respond. I begin to feel like I'm speculating on philosophical ideas. Okay. I appreciate that. And thank you. Uh, I'll, I'll see if I can bring it back down and look at the, the practical. Where What I was going to ask was, that: is there a place in you in that um, a, attention and awareness? Is it in you? Or is it slightly above and behind you when you're watching yourself? I have no idea. Um, yesterday, or last weekend, I ran a workshop. And let me tell you how it's designed. Because it's practical. And we did it. Mm -hmm. uh, I had people write what their beliefs are about the role of humans. And what their method was was working on that. Now, they've got something concrete that they do in their everyday life. And I said, all right, now I'm going to offer you um, a thought I believe I have. And the intention is not to say you're wrong or right, but to notice how we want to be in a two-term system. So the important thing was them watching themselves and being, I'm leading it. So part of them wants to adopt what I just said, borrow it. And 
the reason I have them start with their own beliefs is that now they have something to hold with mine at the same time. And then I said, what new idea comes out of that that's not in my idea or yours? Now, they have to watch what's going on with them. And, the, you know, they report, well, it's horrible. I, I feel like you're a teacher or some kind, and I should accept you. We all agree I'm not a teacher. I'm not a guru. I'm, I'm nothing but another person. And so if they watch all this, they can, with a kind of a third eye, I guess you'd say, be able to observe what's going on in their mind. And it's not coming from outside of them. It's coming from a consciousness. They've developed a practice right. being able to watch. And then I secondly said, all right, now look at your methods. Uh, by the way, my belief was that... Um, Humans have a core role to play that has to do with every moment, bringing consciousness to their activities, their personal one. And when they can do that, it creates more mental energy for people who can't do that. And that's their job. Their job is not to change anybody else. It's to, in this moment, generate more conscious mental energy than is they need to put in the universe. So the sure. second question was, well, look at your methods and how do they line up with your own work, what you just noticed about you uh, and you could share with others, but the very fact of being able to be conscious of whether your methods are consistent and inconsistent, like being abstract to me is inconsistent with being present in the moment. So I'm not sure I'm answering your question. Oh, you're answering them wonderfully. Um, and, and I believe I understand what you're saying is that, and for me, I was trying, I was looking at, I'm not trying, I was looking at the different places that I sense I am in that process that you're talking about, right? Of being conscious where there's, there's something that's more in the front of my being that's active, and then there's something in the back of my being that's the observer monitoring what I'm doing and giving me feedback about it. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about is the assessment of how present you are as you're doing your best to be present in that practical activity that, that you're engaging. As, as long as you're not doing that abstractly, but you're looking at, at a particular thing you set out to do and you're watching what you're doing now, you have something real in front of you. Right. And somehow I'm sharing a screen that I shouldn't be. There we go. That was weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> had some gremlins. I didn't touch anything. I, all of a sudden, the screen shifted to a, a document we've been working on. Um, in that place of awareness and activity, because I, I, I totally, I'll say, I perceive that I totally understand what you're saying and the focus of attention, intention, and interaction that you have that manifests in the concrete work that you are yeah. so dedicated to it that 
there are no distractions, uh, not that there aren't any distractions, you don't give those potential distractions any attention at all. Well, but, I wish that were true. That's certainly an intention. Right, right. Yeah. I, I realize that in that our minds are so powerful yeah. and attentive. I don't have that powerful mind. I wish I did. Oh, you sure do. Otherwise, I, I and I'll just offer this. We wouldn't be having a conversation if our mind wasn't that powerful. Um, and I acknowledge that you, as many, have a power within them in that connection to the consciousness that expands, no, that expands others. I don't. Well, I'm able to regenerate. Can I offer that you might? And, oh, oh, that hubris to think that I have some special power. No, 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 no. That that wasn't meant from a soup from a, a hubris place. That was meant, you know, I had a conversation this morning with a guy named uh Seamus Power over in, in uh, Ireland. And we were talking about the difference between the ego and the supra ego, as Orbendo would call it, where the ego is hubris, right? It wants to stand, wave flag, and say, hey, look at me, look at what I'm doing, things like that. Where the super ego is part of that process that you're talking about. There's no ego there. There's just total participation in their whatever perfected form, fit, and function they have in that moment. Well, maybe I don't remember Shreya or Bindo having thoughts like that out of the mother, but they right. do have different levels of consciousness, I know. So then maybe that's what you're talking about. I studied in that world for a several for a decade. That's uh, wonderful work that, that he did and others that are all looking at, okay, how do we peer into this activity and really become more conscious of it so that we can participate as part of the whole rather than separately? Yeah. And I think that was your point, if I'm not mistaken. Somewhere in there. I just... I just know that for every human being in a body, you can't sustain attention. It's the nature of the body and it's a distraction, but you can work on regenerating your presence as often as you can. And that to me is um, the pursuit worth going after. Not the idea that somehow I would get there and stay there and, and exceed it anything anybody's ever done so oh, i totally get that and, and we can experience that on a daily basis right when we yeah. go through our daily routines there are moments where we can experience what you're talking about right there are other moments where, where we don't right and, and the extension of that is being able to experience more of that conscious awareness in the moment rather than just um road action or uh, routines or habits or something like that that are more unconscious that we do. Yeah. I I don't work directly on consciousness. I work indirectly on the ableness it takes to reactivate those moments. So mm -hmm. uh, I teach people frameworks which are developmental in their nature that when you can see through those, use them as a lens, they increase the capacity and including build neuro, uh, neurological, better new, new neuropathways. Right, I think. right. Yeah. And of course, my neuropathways with ALS now are decaying. So I'm watching that go in reverse. 
where I usually could send a signal, eat or speak or move your feet, and my body did it. But because of degenerating in the same way, uh, they, don't, they don't support my body doing that all the time. But it's crazy. My mind self can get a signal and work. I don't know. Right. It's neurological too. My mind is fine. My body's not so good. <laughs> I noticed that with my uh, adoptive father. He had Parkinson's. Yeah. And a similar situation where he just gradually became unable to use his body. Right. And it you was could... horrible. And you could see it in his eyes. He was still present. Yeah. Well, I'm still teaching. I'm still running my um, communities. And, of course, they're all based on people self-directing their own development. So I give them a few ideas, and they make magic out of it. It's good. <laughs> It'd be nice when we can discover the science behind it all, right? Um, Maybe. Yeah. Well, uh, it would give us at least a, an understanding that, yeah, this isn't all just made up or, or projections or uh, myth or anything like that it, it's an actual experience that can be had and here's why and like we we're talking about the the energy and the the feeling that you get and the speaking of your grandfather being mohawk one of the things that i learned um, it's been a few years ago and it totally made sense because it's even though i didn't realize it is how i'd been operating throughout my life with the three brains the gut, the heart, and the head, and the feeling that takes place of how you are in the moment, you can feel what's going on, you don't necessarily have to think a thing about it, there's this, these vibrations that are present that your body picks up, because the neurosensors are there, although we didn't know that scientifically <clears throat> until just recently, so the vibrations being all there is, where we feel them, we feel them in our gut, our intuition, so it's a solar plexus, seat of the will. And then in a very Taoist way, we bring it up to the heart and figure out whether it's desirable or undesirable. And then take it up to the head where we make the choice as to what to do with it. And then put that, you know, kind of put that back into how we then behave as a result. Yeah. I have a different framework, so I have a little trouble tracking what you're doing. How would you, how do you feel that would be presented in how you understood me to say it and, and what that well, put up for you? That's where I understood, but I'm trying, here's what I was tracking with. Okay. Um, in uh, the Sufi and also in our three windows work, there are different centers in our, our being and the first thing there is instinct, not intuition. The system I'm in doesn't have a lot of uh, fanfare for intuition because it's often used as a way to say, this is what I'm familiar with. We wouldn't notice it's arriving through our automatic choices. That instinct moving center, which in, these are all systems rather than places like yours was gut, heart, head. Well, to me, those aren't systems, but the instinctive center makes my body work or not work in my case. Moving center is everything that makes the system move. Emotional center is everything that 
uh, reaches and connects to what's beyond a, an intellectual center, which is again the working of all the minds, including the body mind, uh, which you may be calling God, I'm not sure. Uh, and then there are higher emotional and higher intellectual, which may be what you, it's hard when we have different frameworks. Oh, yeah, and, and experiences and things like that. And this is yeah. the whole, you know, purpose, in my opinion, of evolving together is learning how to create communication that bridges these understandings and helps to maybe not unify them, at, at least be able to share similar uh, perceptions. You know what the Dalai Lama says? Take instructions from one school. Don't try and... Uh, try and do anything that makes them all the same. Take instruction from one school. And similar what my grandfather said. So you cannot argue with, I don't like this part of that philosophy or this part. You have to be in integrity with one and then take inspiration from others. But if you really want to do the development of yourself, you have to stick with one and adopt or not necessarily adopt, uh, integrate by working on the discover. So I have one school, and what you're talking from, it's the language of another school, which is fine. Uh, but I don't want to cross them over because I believe the foundation of each one is different. <clears throat> my My school is from watching things alive and uh, a living system kind of mm -hmm. way. And so that's great for me. It's not great for everyone. So it's right. hard to know whether you and I agree, but we each have a school, I think, yeah, that you're taking instruction from. And is it possible that, you know, the, the body being an instrument not knowing how to tune it is a challenge, let alone play in concert. I agree with that. <laughs> okay. So starting from there, in that holistic system, there are many systems. And that it, is it possible within that system, um, whether it be the instinctual or uh, intuitive, or uh, however that, you know, the, the action or the emotional, is it possible to be in oneself, not necessarily need a teacher or teaching in order to ask questions and get answers? I think you need a teaching process. I'm with Krishnamurti. I'm not in favor of gurus or teachers, mm -hmm. but if we don't have a methodology uh, that develops us, we're incomplete. Uh, I can, one, can one develop it without having a teacher, though, just by the insatiable curiosity that one might have? You don't do discover? it that way. No, you don't do it that way. You have a system of developing. So I I run a school, or I steward, or whatever the right word is, a school. I'm not a teacher. I invite everybody to never accept and never reject anything I offer. But there are methods that are based on self-directed learning, learning, epistemology. And you don't need 
if, if you have a teacher, then they're now outside the system. So self-directed epistemology is about my new book. Okay. Well, that's kind of what I'm talking about in, in referencing that where, and, and I'm just relating on my growing up and I shared a little bit about my early development and, right. and the experience that I was having. I didn't have any teachers. Right. I just simply asked questions and listened and, and responded to what became present in me as answers too. And often it, it occurred as a voice kind of like the still small voice that we hear about right sometimes it wasn't so still uh, or small and yet it's always been there when i have the ability to be quiet enough to listen and not try to answer by thinking why not by thinking because then i'm trying to answer the question with the information i already have and if I had that information already, I wouldn't be asking the question. Well, that's the wrong work at the intellectual center. So I agree with you. Uh, but I do think the reason I ask is people often say, I want to stop thinking. That means you... Oh, no, 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 no. You're right. Or no. it means you're... It's turning off that, um, that free thinking intellectual side that's always trying to, to, to give you answers for what with what you already know so in my like, school we we have a definition for what the right and wrong working of intellectual center is you're okay. talking about the wrong working and so the, if we have the right working then it's available to us for uh being able to see the working of things which we can't do without the intellectual center we have to image things at work now if out of that we bring forward our mechanical answers. That's the wrong working of intellectual center. Okay, so, so maybe that's what I'm referring to is those mechanical yeah. well, answers. Well, in my school, you don't have to change. Well, I, I want to be able to talk a similar language and, and that's kind of you know where right. we can go to by sharing how we are and really sure. explaining ra that rather than taking the stance that as many do as, you know, we're trying to push and pull our understanding towards you. We're not doing that. We're seeking a common place to to speak from and with in that and, and peeling, you know, or looking at the uh, various ways that we express. Now, express see, what that. I think you can't do without help, and I don't think a teacher is the answer, uh, is you have to have new frameworks. And I do believe some of those show up without anyone teaching them. But if we had a society which instead of basing our education system on people uh, gaining knowledge of experts, of others, and instead we had people learn to see how their thinking, emotions, uh, moving and instinctive center works and only educating them on the mechanism and the, all this works. Uh, it would be more precise because what I think happens when we don't have the Dalai Lama's guidance <clears throat> is we mix and match a bunch of things from some of which are uh, not very discerning, shall we say. Uh, and we get, and people don't learn how to discern. And if we don't have, and why in the world is our education 
based on uh, teaching others the knowledge instead of the working of our system so we can better develop it. Um, so that's where I think there's uh, schools of uh, philosophy, schools of religion, of they're trying to get people, but unfortunately many of them fall into transferring their knowledge, their dogma, instead right. of building the capacity of each of us to use the gifts we have, the brain, the body, the mind. We don't know how. Yet. And I think that learning, some of it has become present, especially with the recent activity that we've had of, of obsession on self-hygiene and sequestration that got people to sit and talk to themselves, right? And to be able to uh, query more about how they think and feel, even though there wasn't instructions or, or necessarily a teacher by it, it or teacher available, it gave them the opportunity to just be by themselves and when you're by yourself who are you going to talk to right <laughs> and so there's that inner dialogue that begins to take place which and i think from what you're saying as well is that which needs to be present as opposed to the inclusion of, of extemporaneous data and information and philosophies that we try to bring in as part of that system in, in ourselves, and yet don't, it doesn't really belong because we've taken what's outside of us and tried to bring it inside. And as you mentioned earlier, there's no difference between inner and outer. It's just that ability to stay focused and, and attentive, right? Um, um, if, if I'm hearing you correctly. Well, uh, I'm not sure all of what you said, but I, I would just add, uh, <clears throat> one aspect, I think we need alternative frameworks to be able to see what our current frameworks are thinking. <clears throat> and we have to, a society is built in order to make that possible, but we're doing a terrible job by giving people data instead of uh, epistemologies to learn from. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe most people in a lifetime get to a way to see uh, different frameworks. They work with the same middle models. And even when they're trying to think, they don't know how to get rid of the mental models that are in their head. So I believe schools need to exist, but there's sacred schools or lineage schools um, that give people frameworks to make their own discoveries. <laughs> Kind of like the old, uh, the, the mystery schools of the past. Yeah, exactly. Okay, the arcane knowledge. And and that's where my work comes from. It comes from indigenous lineage and quantum schools. Okay. Uh, so I don't so, make up anything. I don't sit and discover it. I am drawing on uh, teachers and processes and the teachings that have uh, kind of borne out the development of humans in a better way. Kind of like um, Irvin Laszlo, uh, Dr. Irvin Laszlo, I had a discussion with him not too long ago, and he has always been a proponent of the higher self. And, you know, nominated twice for the world or the Nobel Peace Prize. 
he is very focused on his assertion that we are the higher self. We just haven't become aware of it yet. And yeah, I don't think individuals are, but I think they're collectives that can be. Otherwise, we're back to self-centeredness. Oh, absolutely. Now, here's here's where I want to ask you the, the question about how did the, so those individuals garnering the awareness, understanding, attention, then as they develop, they do they find residence in that larger collective with the the groups that they are then attracted to and are attracted by them um let me see if i can make that a little simpler as we uh, move from an individual to a community that individual has to have that individual self-awareness and then because it has reached a certain place then it is able to participate in the community and the work that the community is doing and not until so I, uh, if I understand what you're asking, here's my version of an answer to that. Um, okay. Before I was born, before I got a body, I made choices about how my own development was going to go, including I believe I chose I was going to die with ALS. Now, why would anybody do that? Because it's the worst way you can die, right? You suffocate. And so I think... I made choices for my development to do that. Uh, I also made a choice to be a woman, which makes it hard to ever get recognition, ever get a platform, ever to be taken seriously. So I would have to fight. Uh, and also I would be barred from ever succeeding enough that I could let my ego get in the way so I could focus on other things. So and there are probably some other decisions I made, uh, I, can't, I once in a while become aware of them. So all that stuff you just said, uh, it depends on what you're trying to work toward. If you're trying to work toward, uh, and let's say before I was born, I knew some of my work was about building a school and about consciousness. It better be that I and made it hard to get credit for everything or else the school will not develop correctly. I will be fighting for fame and fortune and whatever else. Mm -hmm. So I believe all those things you just said sounded like they happened after you're born and you work in yes. some way. I believe right. I knew well, all it's fulfilling. It's like you were saying, the, the, the choices and I, uh, I understand that is probably because the consciousness changes form right yeah. and it, it's just from one body to another and, and like uh in the vedantic philosophy and, and uh you know that white light that's no that uh, they call the what is it unity consciousness that yeah. we, bounce, we bounce back and forth in between that as cosmic consciousness is what the term that i've learned for that in that cosmic consciousness is condensed into form as one of those points of light that we talked about earlier and that point of light bounces back and forth between here and the great light however many lifetimes it takes to actually get the memo right and, and then develop from there and that those choices that are made before incarnation are based on 
what you need to do to accomplish to, to move to your next level, whatever that may be, because that's not something we're necessarily aware of. We're just aware of, okay, these are the things I need to do in this life and be about doing them. And then that naturally affects a larger whole that depending on our ability to perform has different um, short and long-term effects. Our ability to be developed so we can perform. Right. Uh, uh, the other thing I realized I believe happens before I'm born is I make a promise to do something significant that uh, depending on my level of development will have different uh, levels of uh, difficulty, development, trials to face. And so uh, I think that we can, if we have this thought, we can ask all the time, well, what is it that I'm to develop? I'm, I'm engaging that dying, conscious dying group with all the people who are my members since I'm dying. And I told them as we do some of the practices, the question is to ask, what is mine left to do in this life? And that's based on what I call a promise beyond ableness before I was born. Mm -hmm. And it awakens people having kind of change of course life answers. Uh, and if you have the thought that you made a lot of promises or commitments or choices before you were born, you're more likely to search for them. Uh, Absolutely. It's that whole, do I have a mission and purpose question? Why am I here? Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of that. It's a mission and purpose, but that's another conversation. <laughs> I understand. And, and, and yet those are uh, those were two things that I thought of that seem to be present that at least move toward what you're talking about in that recognition that there is something and then the ability to fulfill. I think they very much get in your way. I think they're dangerous and think they're very popular psychology. How, how so? if, what, well, I'm getting so tired I can't think anymore. So okay. uh, let's uh let's think about what would help wrap up for your members uh and give them what or what what you are some of the things that you have learned that have given you the the greatest um, fulfillment. Do I even have an answer to that? I've learned they give me the greatest fulfillment. And um, let me take that a little uh, a little further. Then, to what what have you learned and can share of that process that you found gave you fulfillment? Well, I think the major thing is, even though I was born incomplete because I was human, given a body, and didn't know how to develop anything, I promised that if you commit to working on yourself every day in a concrete value-adding process, something you're seeking to be a part of, and you're in a community to do that with, that you have a chance. And so otherwise, it's very hard uh, to be born a human and you get sidetracked on being successful, meaning famous or wealthy or, you know, something. And 
missed the window of where a magnetic center can wake you up and give you a choice to do something meaningful. I'm watching my 23-year-old grandson struggle with this right now, where he is a, a high-level graduate out of a good university. Uh, and so part of him is just so pulled to being successful and comfortable. And so I, every time I'm with him, I take this learning, you called it, I have, which is the most exciting thing is to find that which has meaning and then let it pull you to develop yourself, to grow you, uh, and to find a community of school, a, high, a couple of school that can support you having a really meaningful contributing life. And as I die and provide exercises for my community, there are a lot about that. Hmm. Your, your life has just been so rich and you have such a wealth of, of knowledge and wisdom to share that, you know, it's probably going to take several lifetimes for you to do so. Um, it does for all of us. I, I, I would totally agree with that. Now in that, let's say in the 23 year old framework, what are the kinds of things that, um, that you could offer to our younger generations. And that's one of the reasons why I'm doing these conversations is to right. impart this wisdom that we carry, or at least we think we carry, um, and offer that as something for the long term so that the younger generations don't or may not have to um, look for at least the things that we didn't have available that now we've got this, there's a, many more of us. And there's, of course, you know, there's uh, all kinds of podcasts and videos and right. uh, kinds of things to listen to. So there is that uh, competition for eyeballs and ears, if you will. Right. And yet, because, do you feel that because of the focus and, of, and attention of the seeking that that also brings forth those things that are in place to answer those queries. So I don't think there'll ever be a time when people come in and don't have to struggle with this because that would violate the role of humans where our job is to work on having more consciousness at any moment than we need so it's available in the universe. You need struggle to have that work arrive. Uh, but we don't have schools, capital S schools, that build that capacity. So with my grandson, I, I'm always asking him what he cares about when he watches the news or something. He's very worried about climate change and about inequality and uh, animal uh, misadventure and the way we treat them. Mm -hmm. Then the question becomes, what in there pulls you enough that you want to develop yourself to be able to help with that. Now I have the setup. It's concrete and specific. It's got a method. And he's reading books and we're processing things that are from uh, Vietnamese Buddhism, from uh, Gurdjieff, 
from uh, uh, various other okay. teachers. And yeah. we process them relative to how he develops himself to be able to work on one of those three things at some point. So That's exquisite. If you got the concrete, you got a pole, and right. you got something to observe, and to generate consciousness, and to build will with, and then you got a reason to do the development work, the inner work, the outer work, the greater work. You know, we had a reason. Yes, that that is just that is so exquisite and wonderful how you framed that in, in such a simple way. And the questions that you ask, what do you care about? What bothers you? And what can you well, do? That's different. Bothers you, takes you downhill and well, trying to stop the downhill. Okay, let me, care about means developing care for. I misspoke. My intention <laughs> was, and thank you, uh, my intention was to edify that point about yeah. what you care about. Because yeah. that's as you care about it, you're going to want to nurture it. Or develop it. Or develop it. In my, that, that's kind of synonymous in my mind. They're uh, opposites in mine. Oh, interesting. I know. We could go on for days. We have all sorts of language that come out of the humanist school. That mm -hmm. means I, I do something to make it better. And let's try and stop every one of those when people put them in, because it it means we're not understanding the system and what it needs and coming uh, to give capability to it to do its own work. So that one of the things that this brings up for me is, is the whole nature of caring. Yeah. And the care and concern, whether that's, part of what you're talking about to me when you care for something um that concern is there you want to understand it support it uh be part of it um and, and do something positive with it i think that's the point that you're making no, uh, no it's not but uh. <laughs> i'm so working on trying to understand well, you don't have my framework right in your head uh there's kind of true true you know, right understanding how that background is a little challenging right and no one can have it's not even possible so the Great biggest point thing you can do is not to try and reframe in your words what i just said because the odds are good it's not going to fit like there is kindness empathy compassion and caring and caring only means I develop your capability, period. I don't support you. I don't try to figure out how to nurture you. All that becomes compassion or empathy. Okay. And so I have, anyway, I got to go, Zen. I'm getting really short of breath. So, well, Carol, I totally appreciate your time and, and am so honored that you took the time to share with me and have the wonderful yeah. conversation in I such know. a way that we did oh but it, but it's still here we are you know we had fun with it it was like exactly. even though there was some some kerfuffles that we still you know kind of intended to be on the same page and, and feel that oh, yeah that care and compassion for one another yeah i agree i've loved every word of it and every moment
Thank you so much, Carol. I, I, I dearly appreciate you and, uh, and wish you the best in um, the coming transition. Yeah, I, it will evolution. probably happen by mid-year next year or this year. So I wish you the best and you continue to be in a body. And, and now I have some of you for posterity. Yeah. That is so wonderful. And thank you again. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. And namaste and in la catch. And thank you for watching this episode of One World in a New World and our wonderful conversation that I hope you understood. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you next time.